Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dave Dubow. Dave is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, podcaster, and has written quite a few books on real estate investing. He's also created a proven system to help you attract qualified investors and money partners to raise capital. Dave has an extensive amount of knowledge in joint venture partnerships. And on top of that, he has also got a great sense of humor. It was a lot of fun to interview him. And I think you'll really enjoy the show. Hey, Dave. I want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How's it going today? Corey, it is going great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And uh, I had a great time interviewing you on mine not that long ago as well. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks for that. And actually, maybe we could start off if you could just tell our listeners about yourself and kind of what's keeping you busy and a bit of a backstory. We'll dive into it as you kind of just maybe start off at the high level right now. Yeah, so I'm a real estate entrepreneur. I'm a passive investor these days. And what I do actively is I help mom and pop real estate investors get started in the whole world of finding joint venture partners and raising private capital. I've been involved in real estate one way or the other since 2003, when I got started after seeing one of those late night infomercials, which was probably before your time, Corey, but you know, you too can get rich in real estate with little or no money down. And I said, that's perfect. That's what I've got sent away for some American gurus course and put it to work in beautiful Kamloops, British Columbia, and started off doing 18 deals in 18 months with little or no money. And then from there, got into client first rent own deals for a few years. And then more recently, I'm kind of a more of a passive investor, capital raiser on typically multifamily type properties. Amazing. 2003 is certainly not before my time. I was having a house built at that time myself. So, geez, well, you, you, you look so young and bad. <laughs> well, it must be the filter on the camera. <laughs> I got to get that filter big time. <laughs> But because uh, obviously the internet wasn't as popular or common, TV thing would have been a lot more like, for, for, you know, with those ads, infomercials and stuff, right? Yeah. So interesting that you were able to take a U.S. course and then apply it in Canada and then be successful, right? So there were some challenges with like You know what? A lot fewer than most people would assume. So basically everything that was taught in that course was doable here in Canada. And, and a lot of Canadians think, well, no, you can't buy a property for a dollar. You can't get properties subject to the underlying mortgage. You can't do this. You can't do that. The truth of the matter is, yes, you can. And, and yes, I did. <laughs> so I think the big benefit I had, Corey, was not having much of a background in real estate. So not knowing what could and couldn't be done. And the second big benefit is I found a local lawyer who was not the typical kind of lawyer that just, if he hadn't heard of something, just automatically said no. Because I brought so many weird, wonky things to this guy. And he said, yeah, I haven't seen this before, but I can't see why not. So he helped me make it work. So that made a big difference. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know what the percentage would be. A pretty high percentage would order a course like that. Get the DVDs or CDs back then, and or VHS, yeah, cassettes. VHS cassettes. That's right. We're going back, and then you're walking around with their Walkman. Listen to this thing. <laughs> Definitely, and, and it, it collects dust after that. Probably really no impact or results, right? You, you know what's so funny, Corey, is the guru that I bought the course from about three or four months later came to Canada, and Rain Group at that time was the biggest, yeah, you know, real estate training 
thing going on. They brought him to Edmonton. I can't remember how many of us were in there, like five or 600 people went to this three-day thing. I think we paid five grand each at that time to go to this thing. And I remember they said, hey, everybody from BC, go over there into the corner and network, get to know each other, support each other. So I zipped over to the corner. There were probably like 80 of us from British Columbia that were at at that event. We all got together and somebody said, hey, why don't we keep this going after the fact and meet once a week in Vancouver? And for folks that aren't aware, but I live in Kamloops in Vancouver, you know, to get to where the meeting was going to be with traffic and everything is a good four hour drive one way. So let's meet on Saturdays at 10 a.m. and network and help each other and all this kind of stuff. So I said, okay, that sounds great. And I jumped in my little I buy houses minivan, which I had at that time and zipped off to Vancouver. I can remember the first meeting I went to, there were like 40 people in the room out of the 80 that said, yeah, we're all going to get together. 40 actually showed up, which is pretty good. And everybody got all rah-rah and motivated and said, okay, for our next meeting, everybody come back and at least have your business card done. I went, business card done? A week to get your business card done? I mean, I was already doing deals at signage and, you know, I buy houses deckled all over my vehicle and bandit signs up and tear yeah. tab signs, all this stuff I was doing. But I said, okay, I'll be patient. So I went back to Kamloops. Next week showed up, 40 shrunk down to 20. <laughs> Nobody had done their damn business cards yet. <laughs> and I was getting frustrated. And this is everybody paid five grand for this course, right? Went back to Kamloops. So the next week I went back and would whittle down to like next to nobody. There's like four or five of us there. And nobody had done their business cards. One person had put in an I buy houses, any price, any condition in the Vancouver province and Vancouver Sun at that time. Newspapers are still a big thing. Yeah. And got overwhelmed with responses, but she had never read the rest of the course of what to do with all those replies. So she's getting replies <laughs> from all over the province. And I just shook my head and I said, you guys are all freaking idiots. I am out of here. Especially and you're, you're driving four hours each way to go to yeah, this. It's eight hours on a Saturday to go egg out these stores. That's commitment. Yeah, but here's the thing. You're absolutely right. It's a long-winded way of saying most people don't do a damn thing, Corey. That's the reality. That's the unfortunate part, for sure. And then just the last question, then we'll move on. But was it a course that you just sent in the mail? Was there actually support? Like, was there something you do, like a no. group call? Or, there was nothing, right? Because that's typical of those courses back then. Like, there was yeah. just... Here's the course. Good luck, you know. And then you don't hear from them ever again, kind of thing, right? Unless, unless you show up to a conference or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was the way it was back then, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And then, what was from the course that gave you the success? What were some of the most successful ways that you were picking up those properties without having maybe your own capital back then? So, which way was I finding motivated sellers? Or yeah, was it was it was agreement for sales? Was it vendor take back? How did you get to eighteen homes at that time? Well, did 18 deals. Some of them, I don't know if they qualify as homes or shitty little <laughs> mobile homes and crappy mobile home parts and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, typically I was doing, I got to remember back, sandwich lease deals. I did a number of those. I did one of my more profitable deals was just an option, not even an exclusive option. So the lady, I optioned her house, gave her the right to still listed with a realtor, gave her the right to still sell it on her own, but I optioned it from her for a specific price and ended up finding the end buyer for that property. And I think I made a nice little 35, 40 grand on that deal, which was one of my better deals at that time. I did a couple of subject to properties where basically 
The owner gave me the title to the property, but kept the mortgage in their own name. And I brought them up to speed and kept making the payments as I transferred the property to a an end buyer. Those kind of things are what come top of mind as kind of the bread nice. and butter. Can you just quickly just maybe explain what's the sandwich deal for our listeners? Yeah, sandwich lease is where you find a motivated... <laughs> the one that sticks to my mind is this poor bastard. He'd read a book that said real estate was good. So he went out and bought a property. <laughs> And that's about all he read. And he had good luck for the first couple of years with tenants. And then he had three tenants from hell in a row. First tenant turned out to be a drug dealer. So it turned the house into a druggy house and all this kind of stuff. Took a long time to get rid of him. Had to repair the place. Neighbors hated him. All that kind of stuff. Second tenant turned out to be a biker. So it turned turned the house into a you know Hell's Angels hangout kind of thing. So that was a lot of fun for the guy to evict wow. those people. And each time he had to pay five or ten grand to repair the property and get it back up to snuff. Third time around, he rented it to a nice professional single mom. He thought, okay, finally I got somebody good here. Who ended up finding a boyfriend who turned out to be a drug dealing biker. Wow. Would it have so, been like the area, or is it him just being really poor at? you know, selecting him being very poor at selecting. Now the third one, that would be tough for anybody to predict that was going to happen. Yeah. But he was just not professional about what he was doing. So anyhow, he was at that time, the market was kind of soft. So he saw my marketing (laughs) around. (laughs) I'll I'll pay you to take this off my hands. Pretty much. Yeah. So I got into the deal and I said, here's what I'll do, buddy. I will be your tenant. I'll be responsible for the property. So I'm actually, I'm not going to rent it from you. I'm going to lease it from you. So I'm going to be responsible if the toilet cracks, if the air conditioner kicks out, if any of that kind of stuff happens, you don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of it. So I'm going to lease the property off of you and I'm going to option it for a specific price that we both agree upon. So I got it at a decent price. And then I'm going to turn around and I am going to sublease this property to somebody else for a higher rent than the one I'm paying you. And I'm going to have an agreement for sale with them at a higher price than what I'm going to pay you. So I was very transparent about exactly what I was going to do. So a sandwich lease is basically where you get into the property. You don't actually take ownership. You lease it from the original owner with an option to purchase it. And then you turn around and you do a rent to own deal with an end tenant buyer and everything's encapsulated in those agreements. So, you know, the price I'm going to pay the seller is whatever it was at that time, let's say it was $200,000 for even numbers. And the price that the buyer agreed to buy it from me was let's say 240 or 230, whatever that was. My rent to the seller was a thousand bucks a month. Their rent to me was $1,600 a month with some rental credits or something like that. It's 20 years ago. I don't remember all the exact numbers. But yeah. that's how that kind of thing works, a sandwich lease. Thank you for that. That was an excellent explanation. I think that will stick with people too, having a little bit of a story in there as well. Yeah. So now I just want to jump back a bit further than 2003, because I do know a little bit. They were in Costa Rica for 10 years, right? So I just would like to maybe si, senor. have you show that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hola, amigo. ¿Cómo estás? <laughs> Pura vida. <laughs> yes. Right out of university, I went and started traveling around Mexico and then ended up going down to Central America. So I ended up spending 14 years overseas, so to speak. And 10 of those years, the last 10 years were in San Jose, Costa Rica. In my travels, I just, you know, stumbled across the country and fell in love with it and 
fell in love with a specific person there and decided to kind of stake my claim and make a go of it. So I ended up starting a language training company down there. That's what I did for 10 years. Taught Costa Ricans how to speak English gooder. As I like to say. <laughs> I got married and had kids and all that kind of stuff. And then in 2003, my then wife, now my ex-wife and I decided that, you know, the kids were getting to be towards school age, kindergarten type age. So we both agreed that Canada would be a better place for them to grow up and have opportunities and go to school. Costa Rica is a wonderful country, don't get me wrong. But being a pasty-faced white guy like I am, whether you've got a lot of money or not, people assume that you do. And there's a little bit of a target on your back. And as wonderful as the country is, at that time, there were you know, kidnappings and people became held for ransom and kidnap express mm. type things where they'd grab you in your car and go take you around to different ATMs and suck all the money out of your bank account and these kind of things. It didn't happen to me, but I know three people that it happened to. So that very, very rarely happens in candles. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in Costa Rica recently, January, basically, and I, it was amazing, right? And I know it's probably changed. I think the tourists are a bit safer there at this point in time. Like we toured everywhere. I wasn't a tourist. I was living there full living time. There. So there's a big difference. And I was living in San Jose. San Jose is the big city, right? Is that where the, the capital the big, city? We flew out of there and that was the only place I couldn't wait to leave. It was yeah. insane. I'm like, I would not want to be here for more than like two days or like a day, basically. It was just chaos. It seemed like. Yeah, especially the traffic, man. Oh it's my nice. gosh. Yeah, there was motorcycles ripping everywhere. And I'm like, I just want to drop this car off and be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a little getting used to it. it. Took me a while to get used to driving back in Canada again because I was driving like one of those Latin psychos for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's jump into where you're at now. If you could just maybe provide a 10,000 foot view of your program and how you're helping investors raise capital. Yeah, so I started raising capital for myself around 2010 and flopped miserably at it initially, Corey. And, and that was kind of the spark that maybe decide, hey, I want to get better at this. And then I did. And then I started teaching and training people about rent to own for a number of years. And one part of that whole training was about the raising capital side of things. And that was really popular. And then when I stopped doing rent to own myself, and I stopped teaching and training around that, then I started really focusing on the raising capital side of things. So, you know, over the years, I've raised quite a bit of money for myself, and my own deals, but we've helped literally at this point, hundreds of other, what I call everyday people investing in real estate, we've helped them to cumulatively raise somewhere around $300 million and counting for their deals. So come up with a, a process that I call the money partner formula. And it's all about a couple of big ideas. Number one is don't wait until you've got a deal to start raising the capital, get your investors, your joint venture partners lined up first, and then go find the deals. And then the second big pillar there is instead of chasing after people to try to convince them to invest in your deal, use some intelligent marketing and attract them to you instead, because it's so much easier to raise capital that way. And then the third pillar is, you know, especially when you're first starting, don't go out to the general public and strangers and try to raise capital that way. Number one, it's, it's very, very difficult. Number two, it can be illegal. You know, and I'm not a, a lawyer or a securities guy, but just my understanding is you definitely want to be careful how you go around raising capital. So it's a lot safer, faster, and easier if we start by focusing on our existing connections first, 
people that we have a pre-existing relationship with. So friends, family members, coworkers, business associates, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, for somebody to invest a hundred grand with you, they need to know you, they need to like you, and they need to trust you with their money. So if we focus on those people first, that's the easiest, fastest, and safest way to get it. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to just maybe explain some of that. Don't wait, you said, until you have the deal, but actually start networking and building your database and maybe the marketing side first. Obviously, from a logistics standpoint, if you wait till you have the deal, typically it's, they move pretty fast, right? If you're like, okay, I've got this great deal, let's do something with it. Then you go circle back, the deal is probably gone. Is that well, yeah. And, 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 we, and we hear so many real estate gurus say, hey, find a good deal and the money will find you. And I say BS to that. I mean, it works for them because they've already got a huge platform of followers and people and they've they're already kind of positioned at a level that it's easy for them to do that or every once in a while you get somebody who's got a really strong sales background and they can pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars and and raise capital under that kind of situation but most people are not like that so yeah it's like the old adage says dig your well before you're thirsty if you wait until you're in desperate need of the capital that desperation kind of no matter how good the deal is, that desperation kind of oozes out of you and it, it actually turns people off. So have those conversations, get your investors lined up first, or at least at the same time, be doing both at the same time. As you're looking for deals, you know, have those investor conversations, have those joint venture conversations if that's what you need to do that deal. Nice. Now, do you recommend business cards like you're talking about that group? <laughs> that where nobody that, got them that done? Group, yeah, well, <laughs> those were a different kind of business card back then, Corey. But yeah, when it comes to raising capital, you want to have classy business cards that kind of stand out and pop. So my favorite business card strategy, actually, I learned from a friend of mine, a guy named Dan Locke, who's become a huge YouTube influencer kind of guy. But back in the day, you know, he was teaching people about marketing and copywriting and things like that. And he had this black plastic card that literally people were, you know, in awe of and scrambling to get one of these black cards because it just looked so classy, about the size and weight of a credit card, black gold foil inlay on it, and just very simple messaging. So in our case, it's the top would say real estate investor, or real estate entrepreneur, your name, phone number, website, email, just keep it simple and classy. So a big mistake I see a lot of people do is they make their investor cards at home. So they print them out on their home printer, look like crap, or they get them done super cheap and they look just boring. Yeah. And then most people, they look at them and they're, thank you. And throw them away. Yeah. As soon as they're, you're gone, it's like they're gone. The card's exactly. tossed. Yeah. So invest a few bucks. I mean, I think the the cards we get, I actually get them done in the UK, you know, and on a small run, they, pretty expensive because the gold foil, some part of that is done by hand. So it's like a couple of bucks a card is what these things cost, but the impact they leave. And if you think about it, you know, if one investor comes on board and invests a hundred grand with you, you can afford pretty good cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where you should be able to. You should be. So someone jumps in your program and you're going to focus on your current circle of influence. So your friends, yeah. family, that kind of thing. Now if you're going to be teaching me, you're coaching me. How would I go about talking to my friends and family. Am I just, you know, is there some recommendations, some things you have in place to make that be more effective? Oh, for sure. So what we recommend, Corey, is the first step is pretty simple. It's create a target group of your prospective investors. Here's what we do with our clients. It's not so much the coaching. We do done for you, done with you services. We actually help them do this stuff. It's you get all of your email contacts, all of your phone contacts, all of your social media contacts, do a data dump get them into one place 
sift sort, deduplicate that, and then whittle it down to about somewhere around 200 people. If you're doing this alone, if you're doing this with a spouse, between the two of you, about 300 people. And that's going to be your target group that you're really going to focus on. So that's the first step. Let's create that. The easiest way to communicate with people these days is through email. So you can set them all up, get names and email addresses, get that in an email autoresponder. And then the first step, Corey, is to warm these people first before we start talking business. Big mistake I see people doing is they just kind of rush in like a network marketer, MLM type person. It's like, hey, you know, it's Dave, get my wonder group kind of stuff. And that just really turns people off, right? 100%, yeah. We want to be a little more classy than that. So we call this part of the process our connection resurrection, right? Because a lot of those people haven't heard from you in a long time. So you want to kind of reconnect with them on a personal level first, and then transition the conversation towards real estate. The most effective way we've seen to do that is just with a simple three email sequence over the course of about a week. And the first couple of messages are just warm and fuzzy. You know, hey, it's Dave. Chances are it's been a while since we connected. Thought I'd reach out, see how you're doing, let you know what I've been up to, then blah, blah, blah. Talk a little bit about what I've been doing for the last three, four, five years. And then at the end, it's a call to action. Hey, enough about me. How about you? How are you doing? Please hit reply to this email. Let's catch up. So the first couple of messages are like that. And then have a genuine connection with people, right? When they reply back to you, respond to them and have a little bit of back and forth because there's capital in those connections. There's capital in rekindling those relationships, right? And then the third message is, well, give them the heads up that you're going to switch gears and start talking about real estate investing. So we call this the transition message. You know, something like, hey, it's Dave. It's been really good reconnecting with you for the last week or so. Just want to let you know that moving ahead, I plan on doing a much better job of staying in touch, letting you know what I'm up to with real estate investing. Real estate is something I'm really passionate about, doing really, really well with it. And I think it's the best way for everyday folks like you and like myself to get an above average return on our money that's backed by something solid and real and tangible and that's real property, right? So you kind of give them that transition and give them the option to opt out if they'd rather not hear from you. But if you do something like that, now you're ready to start with the actual marketing. And by the marketing, I'm not talking about, hey, I've got a deal, give me money. I'm talking about what I call edutaining communication. Because here's the thing, Corey, you and I and most of your listeners are obviously weirdos. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. <laughs> I was saying maybe winners saying we're winners. <laughs> we, are, we are real estate weirdos. I say that with love and affection because I am one, right? Because into this real estate thing, would you agree that most of your friends outside of the real estate business really don't give a darn about real estate investing? Like it's for, not for their sure. thing. Yeah. If, right? if someone finds out I have a podcast and they inquire, oh, what do you, what do you, what's your podcast? And I say real estate investing. It's usually like, yeah, it's like, oh, that oh. <laughs> sounds really boring. <laughs> but we love it, right? So that's yeah. why we're weird. That's why I say we're weirdos. But we got to keep that in mind. Most of your investors are not weirdos like us. They're not into real estate investing. So if we go ahead and just have diarrhea of the mouth and just blast them with too much data, too much information, too teachy about real estate investing, they're not going to open any of our emails. They're not going to pay attention to it. So what I always recommend is just Keep that in mind. Keep it super simple. Do all of your stuff so it's a little bit educational and hopefully a little bit entertaining and creating curiosity. And that's how we get these people to put up their hand and hey, say, 
hey, Corey, that real estate thing you're doing, that sounds kind of cool. I'd like to find out more, right? We're not going to try and teach them everything we know. We're just going to create that curiosity, pique their interest, and turn that into an investing conversation. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So and for me personally, like there's, I go through times and I'll post content other times I don't, but I always have an easy time posting if I feel like I'm adding value. So like if I'm pointing something out or like a recommendation, that kind of thing, or rental, I can do a shoot a video, no problem. But if it's like, oh, look at me, I've sold a house or my client, I find a hard time posting brand things, but it's much easier to post content where it's you're giving value to people, right? Exactly, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with the other as well, as long as you don't do it in a jerky kind of way, right? So I mean, letting people know that you're actively doing whatever it is that you're talking about is very, very powerful. I agree. It's whatever kind of draws you that you feel more comfortable with. That's good kind of content to have. How about uh, consistency? I unfortunately have not been consistent on my posting of content. I hear you, man. So yeah, constant, consistent, edutaining communication. So constant means you know, if you're going to post, if you're going to email, get it to where come hell or high water, at least once a week, something is coming out from you, right? And the easiest way to do that, Corey, is to batch things up, right? To batch things up. So instead of trying to come up with stuff, onesie, twosies, every whatever, you know, if you come up with 10 or 12 ideas, crank it all out all at one time and then schedule it to go out, that just simplifies the heck out of your life. So for example, when we're working one-on-one with clients, we'll help them create a year's worth of video content and get it all done all at one time so they don't have to think about it, right? So we can set it and forget it. So you'll get like 52 posts all in one? Well, no, no, no. So we do a variety of different things. So we do blogs, we do videos, we do electronic newsletters. So once a week, something's coming out for them. But only about once a month, there's a specific video log coming out from them as part of their content. I'm not talking about social media stuff. I'm talking about email marketing here. But it applies the same thing with social media. We get 12 of these things ready to go all in one fell swoop. And we can set them and forget them that way. In your case, if you're talking about social media, then it's like, okay, pick a time a frequency that you can realistically do. So for example, realistically, in your case, Corey, realistically, how often would you like to be posting something on Facebook or whatever your social media of choice is? I think if I could get to once a week, that would be consistent hmm. for me. Unfortunately, Perfect. I'm not there consistently yet. Okay, but once a week is very doable. So here's what I would recommend for you. Because for example, I've started a new YouTube channel and the thing is, you know, have videos coming out five times a week. Well, so that's Freaking five videos a week, man. That's mm. intense. But here's what I do, Matt. I get together with my video guy once a month and I crank out 20 videos. So I outline them ahead of time, just come up with what are the topics I'm going to be talking about? What are three to five bullet points per topic that I want to talk about? And then I go in and work my video guy for four hours or whatever and get it all done. And then I get all of that raw stuff taken and, and edited by another person, takes care of all of that, thumbnails, all that kind of crap. So you don't necessarily, if you're going to be doing this on Facebook, you don't need to do all of that. But you could still do the same idea where you kind of put in your calendar that once a month on a Sunday or whatever, you're going to create eight videos, right? Come hell yeah. or high water, you're going to create eight videos. You create them, you film them, whatever. You can. don't have to be fancy pants, do it on your phone, do it on whatever. 
and then just schedule them so they automatically go out once a week. So that way you only have to really think about it once a month. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like do eight of them and then you're done for two months, right? Even Smart, better. yeah. Just package everything together as much as you can. It's much more efficient. It, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it might not be perfect. It might not be as spontaneous as if you're doing it live somewhere. But then you can also add that in. So let's say you're looking at a property, you're at a property and you get inspired to talk about something. Well, hey, you know what? What is your flavor of the month? Is it Facebook? I typically I'll shoot something on Instagram. When I do posts, it's definitely Instagram. I was doing TikTok for a while and I was getting actually a ton of views on some of the stuff, but I wasn't consistent again. Yeah. So I can't remember how Instagram works, but because I don't do it that much, but you can do lives on Instagram, right? Yep. Yeah. So just do a live spontaneously every once in a while, but have the other stuff dripping out just like clockwork. And then that way you got the best of both worlds going on there. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man. And then, so your avatar for people, if it was a student and they really don't have maybe the skill set or some experience in real estate investing, it's kind of pointless for them to be running around raising capital. Wouldn't you think like, would you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you would want someone that can handle like, you know, if they raise the capital, but then they're going to be successful with the capital. Well, it's, it's very hard for somebody without any track record or any experience to raise capital. I mean, who the hell is going to invest with them, to be perfectly frank? <laughs> their mom, their dad, maybe. That's about it. So my recommendation for somebody who's just getting started is, like my buddy Barry McGuire says, get the first damn deal done, right? Yeah, yes. yeah he does say that, yeah. <laughs> get that first deal done. If you don't have the money to do it yourself, then here are a few tips for you. Number one is find somebody who's doing what you want to do and pay to play. So in other words, be an investor with somebody else. You know, you can invest a couple of things. If you've got some money, you can invest the money. If you don't have money, but you've got some skills, invest your skills, not for a paycheck, for a little tiny sliver of equity in a deal. Get the experience, get a little bit of a, a track record going. And then Moving ahead, you can point to that deal legitimately and say, here's a deal I was involved in, and here's how it all worked. And this is what I'm going to be doing more of, right? And so that way, now you've got a little bit of credibility. Now you've got a little bit of a track record. Now through osmosis, you've gained experience, you've gained a team, you've got a much better idea of what you're doing and get going that way. Ideally for your first deal, I always recommend if you possibly can self-finance your first deal or two, use your own money, get your own skin in the game. You're going to pay very, very close attention to everything. You're going to get that experience and that track record. And then you're going to be very well positioned to start bringing on joint venture partners or investors after the fact. Nice. Yeah. And then is this outside of your wheelhouse? But let's say a student of yours, they've got the experience, maybe they've hit the glass ceiling, they're trying to raise capital. Is there support in maybe structuring the deal so it's you know on the paperwork side? Or is that outside of... Well, I mean, yeah, I've seen a lot of different structures and things like that. I'm not a lawyer and, and we work with yeah. people all over Canada, all over the States. So, I mean, rules and regulations are different everywhere, but you know, the big broad strokes are, how are you going to structure the deal? How are you going to divvy up the profits? Who's going to do what? These kind of things. So, so yeah, we definitely guide people around that for sure. And do you have like a private Facebook group or chat thing where the members log in or that kind of thing? How does that work? I do have a private Facebook group. It's not really just for our clients. It's for anybody who's interested in raising capital. It's called the How to Raise Capital 101 group on Facebook. And anybody's welcome to join that for sure. 
But like I said, Corey, for us, it's, we don't really have a coaching program per se. It's We're more like a marketing agency for real estate investors to help them raise capital. Okay, that makes sense. And then what kind of success rate are you seeing? Is there certain maybe backgrounds or anything that's helpful or, you know, experience that people bring as they leverage that? What makes one student more successful than the other? Well, the difference between clients largely has, has to do with personality, right? So if you're a little bit more on the extroverted side, it makes it easier because number one, you've got a lot more connections to start with. And number two, you're not shy about meeting with people and showing them what you're up to. Now that said, we've had a lot of success with even shy or introverted investors as well, if they're willing to stretch their comfort zone a little bit, right? If you want to have success in anything, you got to do things differently than what you've done so far, right? It's just common sense. So our most successful clients are typically the people that trust in the process, who are willing to do the work because, yeah, we do a lot of stuff for them. But at the end of the day, it's still up to them to show up and have these meetings and do these presentations and that sort of thing. That's how they get their joint venture partners or investors enrolled. And we can't do that part for them. That's right. Yeah. It's kind of like you have the gym, the equipment, the facility, but you've got to show up and work out or it's going to do nothing for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. So what other type of marketing stuff would you guys help with? Like when we're working with a client? Yeah. Like, so the attraction part of it, like for the marketing side. Yeah. So exactly. So the way we work with clients, Corey, like I said, is we help them create that target group of potential investors, break the ice with them, and then get everything set up, all the techie side of things. So websites and email autoresponders and client relationship management software and integrations between your website and your email system and your calendar and all that nitpicky kind of stuff that really slows a lot of people down, you know, building out the website, building out a really good pitch deck, so to speak, or an investor presentation that you can walk somebody through. So somebody puts up their hand and says, hey, Corey, I'm interested in your deals. Well, then what? How do you walk them through a deal? And a lot of people just kind of send people, you know, a perspective of a property. Well, guess what? If you're dealing with somebody who has no experience doing real estate deals, they aren't even going to know what to look at with a perspective. So you have to be able to walk people through in a very simple, easy to understand format, what it is that you're up to and what's in it for them. What are the pros? What are the cons? So they get into the deal with their eyes wide open. So we helped with all of that, as well as all the marketing stuff as well. The emails, the e-zines, the video logs, the blog posts, webinars, special events, book launch parties, website launch parties, these kind of things that we help take care of all of that for our clients. That's amazing. And do you have a few like maybe kind of standouts where you're where you saw someone come in and they maybe they hit the glass ceiling, they've been investing for a while, and then utilized your expertise and your systems, and then were able to kind of break through and grow up to a larger portfolio. So are you asking, has this worked for anybody? <laughs> <laughs> that was a long way. Yeah. Well, uh, some success stories, yeah. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, we've got lots of them. So one that just pops into my mind is uh, one of our clients, Matt, and he's based in Manitoba. And Matt's just a great guy. And, and he's one of these guys that very, very personable. But I tell you what, we got this whole process going. And even just from that whole initial connection resurrection thing, he ended up getting like very quickly, one of his first investors on board with 200,000 bucks. And I think the guy was his auto mechanic of all people. And wow. and yeah, no, Matt hit the ground running. I mean, usually we're able to help people raise 
the first, you know, 150, 200, 300,000 dollars in a month or two. Matt, I think raised close to 650,000 bucks in a month and a half, which which is exceptional, right? Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, we've had lots and lots of people that you know, we help them bring on their first $100,000 partner, $100,000 joint venture partner, that sort of thing. Typically, you know, that's pretty straightforward. We can help people do that in a matter of weeks. Yeah, Lisa was fairly new to real estate investing. She had some experience working with somebody else in their team with small multifamily properties. Yeah, we worked with her and within, I think it was within her first month, she hit the $200,000 mark. And then over the course of, I think it was six or seven months, she got up to $700,000 raised following the process. So yeah, we got tons and tons of testimonials and case studies and all that kind of good stuff. But one of my favorite ones was uh, one of her clients who's a new immigrant, relatively new immigrant to the country. He was from Mexico, didn't have a big connection to us, contact list, but he followed the process. And the very first presentation he did, he got a $200,000 investor on board. One young guy, Brandon, he had a couple of deals under his belt, self-financed, had a baby face, had a hard time people taking him seriously. He followed the process, got him booked in with a friend of his mom's, of all people. And the lady said, I love it. I'm in. So that's great. And she said, I've got a couple of friends that should look at this as well. So she called over two of her friends. He did the presentation with the other two ladies. He ended up getting three investors from that one evening of doing those two presentations. That was kind of right out of the get-go. So yeah, lots of- That's amazing. So what, what inspired you to kind of start this up and help people in this area with their investing? Yeah, well, you know, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning there, Corey, where um, I was frustrated, you know, myself taking real estate courses, I'm a massive action taker. Usually, not all the time, but usually if I'm serious about something, I'll take the course and take action and really try to make it work. But so many people I found were just getting stuck, right? Because they're working full time, they're managing their portfolio, they're dealing with family stuff. The implementation was the hardest part of things. So when I first started teaching about the raising capital side of things, it was the 80-20 rule. Like 80% of people didn't actually do anything, 20% did, they see some results and that was great. So I wanted to kind of turn that around. So that's kind of why I got away from the charging for courses and stuff like that around raising capital and started providing the done for you services, because that way we know it gets done and we know it gets done right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now, you're also an author. You wrote a best-selling book. Maybe could you just tell us, it's behind you there, but our listeners won't be able to see it. Maybe if you could just, yeah, tell us the title and how long ago you wrote oh, it. Oh, I got eight books, so I'm not sure which title you got. You're, you're, you're thinking. <laughs> I didn't realize you wrote eight. Okay, so uh, yeah. we would need to do another whole show. If no, that's, yeah, exactly. So it's not so much the title of books and whatnot. It's what the book is for. So I'm very, very strategic around books, Corey. I'm not trying to be a, you know, New York Times bestselling author. I do have a couple of Amazon bestsellers. And that's basically because I worked with a company that did some voodoo magic that <laughs> me up to, to be an Amazon bestseller for 20 minutes. And that's what you need to qualify or whatever. <laughs> but at the end of the day, a book is really, for me, it's a business card on steroids. Because here's what it happens, Corey. Like if you go to a real estate investing club or a meeting or you're meeting with anybody and, you know, make a good connection and you give somebody a copy of your book instead of a business card, the reaction is usually pretty amazing. Most people have not met an author. They think it's a big deal to write a book. If you're an author, it automatically shows that you're an authority because that's where the word 
authority comes from as being an author. And it gives you instant credibility as well, right? Absolutely. And then you just go one step further and you sign and dedicate the book for that person. Well, guess what? They're never, ever going to throw that away. And if you're smart with your book, you got your smiling face on the cover, you got all your contact information on the back cover, it's never going to get thrown away. So whether they read the book or not, they already remember you and they automatically associate you as being an authority and an expert. So that's really my purpose for having a book. Well, you really are my drive to write eight books. Plus you got the podcast that you do. In- I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I've got a daily podcast. I've got two podcasts on the go, actually. And with the use of artificial intelligence, I've just finished my most recent book, which is an ebook. It's not a huge one. It's about 33 pages long. So I'm just getting that one all organized. But yeah, it's an interesting world we're in, Corey, now, especially with all the artificial intelligence stuff and, and everything. Now, just so people know, I did not get the AI to write the book for me. I got the <laughs> AI to clean up my ideas and take the place of a ghostwriter. Because I actually don't like writing, but I don't mind, as you can tell, talking. So I usually talk out my books and have somebody else clean them up and turn it into a nice written format. Well, now AI can do that for me. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating and a little bit scary what AI is capable of doing. Definitely, definitely, my friend. And then maybe can you just tell us about your two podcasts? Yeah, so the one I had you on not that long ago is the one behind me. It's called the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And I've been running that since 2018. And that's my now daily podcast. And for that one, these days, what I'm really focusing on is interviewing what I call everyday people investing in real estate. And I just find that that really resonates well with the audience, listening to somebody who's maybe at the same level or a step or two above them, just really inspires and motivates people to take action. So I love that. And if any of your listeners are interested in being interviewed, always looking for great guests like yourself, Corey, on that. So you can check that out at daveinterviewsyou.com. And then my second podcast is called the How to Raise Capital 101 Show for Real Estate Investors. Kind of a mouthful, but that's what it's all about. It's all around the raising capital side of things. And that's a little bit more sporadic. Usually those are like solo episodes with myself or every once in a while I'll have a guest on the show as well. But that's the other podcast I've got going. Wow, you are busy. And so I'm going to finish off. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Sure. So where's a place you'd like to travel that you've never been to before? What's on a bucket list? You know what, my friend? I am so fortunate. My wife and I love traveling. So we get away three or four times a year. But that said, the world's a big place. And there are a number, a whole bunch of places I want to see. I think for me, top of my list right now is probably Thailand, Malaysia, the Philippines. Asia, around those kind of areas. Philippines, because I've got some amazing helpers, assistants and whatnot that work in the Philippines, and I like to meet them face-to-face. Nice. My, yeah. my assistant, Lorna, she's been working with me for 10 years, all virtually. So, wow. <laughs> you're, you're ahead of the curve on that one, too, because a lot of people are doing that now, but 10 years ago, they weren't, right? Even podcasting. Like, How long ago, because you're almost at 450 shows, so how long ago did you start the Property Profits podcast? 2018. End of 2018 is when I started that. Okay. Yeah. Well, but so it wasn't, it was only, it was a weekly show for quite some time. And then just this year, I've turned it into pretty much a daily show. I see. Okay. So yeah, it's really increased the, the number of shows. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And then what about a favorite book or movie? Not be well, it can't be your book though. Yeah, no, it's definitely, my <laughs> books are okay. But my favorite book, you know what? There's so many of them, Corey, off the top of my head, who, not how is way up there. 
Another one that's awesome is called Profit First. That has had such a huge impact on me. And then last but not least, definitely The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Nice. I'm sure some of the listeners will be reaching out or going to Amazon or something, right? Yeah, to yeah definitely. Order some of those. Outside of all those things that you do, what do you like to do with your downtime for activities? Well, I'm a very fair weather skier, so I enjoy skiing. I'm a fair weather kayaker, so I love that as well, but I'm not a fanatic about it. And my wife and I, like I mentioned, are really into travel. So, you know, literally at least three or four times a year, we're going off to Mexico Amazing. or Europe or You're, something. That's the dream. So how many countries have you been to? I don't know, man. You know, to, okay. Did, some, did, some people track, right? They'll say, oh, I've been to 27 or 30 or whatever it is, right? Yeah, no, I've lost track, but I would say getting close to 40 probably by now. Amazing. Yeah. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, a couple of ways. If you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, I'd love to interview you. So my URL for that is daveinterviewsyou.com. And if you're interested in getting some help when it comes to raising capital, you're looking for resources around that, then my main website is moneypartnerformula.com. Amazing. Thank you. I really enjoyed having you on the show. And I could have probably asked you another 50 questions, but we do have to come to an end here. Parting is such sweet sorrow, Corey, and appreciate being on the show. You're an excellent host. I wish you much continued success, my friend. Mucho gracias, amigo. And mucho gusto. <laughs> Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.